This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps people find and follow their bliss. Today, we have a very special show featuring two incredible stories. Finding Your Bliss is something our first guest, Wendy Murphy, knows all about. She was in a car accident when she was only 18 years old leaving her confined to a wheelchair, and because of her bravery, she found a new life purpose and has become an inspiration to so many people. She's here today to tell us about her career as a City TV television reporter and her incredible new book, Wendy Murphy's Law. Also on the show today, the winners of the Canadian Families Got Talent competition season. They're a group made up of three talented singers and songwriters, CJ Capital. Seth Sosky and Matthew Novary Joseph. Not only do they win first place, but they've been invited by celebrity judge Simon Cowell to appear on the next season of America's Got Talent. All of that coming up on today's show. But first, I'm so excited to introduce you to Wendy Murphy. Wendy Murphy is truly a person who knows how to find her bliss and overcome adversity in incredibly challenging times. In 1984, a serious motor vehicle accident paralyzed Wendy from the waist down. Following months of rehabilitation, Wendy found a new purpose in life to expose the issue of disability. Taking on modeling contracts with some of Canada's top retailers like Simpsons and The Bay, Wendy eventually moved on to commercial and television roles. Never went to shy away from a challenge. It was newsroom reporting that she set her sights on, and eventually she achieved exactly that. She joined the City TV news team in September of 1995, where she hosted her own television segment titled Wendy's Video Diary. Roaming the city for community news and personal milestones, Wendy brought personal stories to life and into the living rooms of thousands of viewers each week for an incredible eight years. Today, Wendy focuses her attention on the accessible parking permit program legislated through the government. With the aging population growing in age and in numbers, today it is difficult to find these parking spots vacant. Wendy hopes to see an increase in the spots currently available and a revision to the overall program. When not fighting for the rights of disabled people down at Queen's Park, Wendy is a part-time health coach who helps guide individuals with some form of spinal cord injury towards a more sustainable long-term health regime. She's also written a fantastic book. And I can really tell you, this book kept me up until the wee hours of the morning. And the book is called Wendy Murphy's Law, Whatever Can Go Wrong Can Be Made Right. Wendy, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. So great to have you here. Oh, Judy, it's my pleasure to be here today. For people who don't know your story, Wendy, you are a well-known television personality and reporter, and you were rendered as a teenager with incomplete paraplegia following a motor vehicle accident in 1984. And you really had two choices, to give up or to carry on with the tenacious spirit. And the way you've transported yourself and carried yourself is nothing short of miraculous. We're going to talk all about your book Uh, which I just have to congratulate you on, Wendy Murphy's Law, Whatever Can Go Wrong Can Be Made Right. It's so exquisitely written and so compelling, I really could not put it down. So congratulations on that. 
Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you. I, I spoke from my heart. Before we go through the book and your whole story, can you take us back and paint us a picture of what happened that night when you had this life-altering experience? A lot of it, I, I really don't remember a lot. And they say that your mind blocks out any, any form of trauma that you go through. But um, I was at Shirkston Beach. Uh, we took a long weekend with a bunch of friends. There was probably about 50 of us from our community. And there were three of us that were that were in the van. And um, so, yeah, we, we went to come home from the long weekend. And the driver uh, had lost control. I was sleeping, actually, on a mattress in the back of the van. So we had stopped for pizza just before leaving um, Fort Erie. And uh, I crawled into the back and laid down on a mattress. And my best friend, Grania, was in the front seat. And um, none of us were wearing seatbelts. They weren't, they weren't in, um, legislated at the time. So uh, the driver had lost control and the van rolled, rolled over quite a few times before coming to a complete stop, throwing me out of the van. Mm. Unbelievable. How old were you when this happened? You were a young adult. How old were you? I was 18. Actually, it's funny, Judy, because my 19th birthday was a month later. So my first legal beer was prescribed by my doctor. (laughs) (laughs) He sent me a beer with a prescription on it. You you were in Western Hospital. Yeah. And and even your experience in the book of that says so much about your character, Wendy, because unlike many people who would just be getting through it, you you actually made such an impression on the nurses, on the doctors, and you formed very close relationships and learned things like taking one day at a time from your doctor. Can you describe your memories of that period at Toronto Western Hospital? I think you're a product of your environment, Judy, and I grew up with a very close-knit family. And and I don't think something like this doesn't change you. It takes an adaption to the changes that your life goes through. But I mean, they were very extremely supportive. Uh, the one day at a time rule was not to not to look forward or not to look back, because looking back, I had a lot of a lot of regrets in terms of, you know, not wearing a seatbelt and not going home with someone else even. So looking back was was not the right way to go. And looking forward, because I had no idea what my future had ha- would hold. My injury was incomplete, which I should say. My, so the spinal cord wasn't severed. It was simply compressed. I slowly started to regain my, my sensation. And I was hoping for my mobility eventually. But um, the one day at a time rule was to take it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And you had a wonderful physiotherapist there, uh, Louise, and you moved on to a wonderful place called Lindhurst, which I'd like you to talk about and, and what a breath of fresh air it was after the hospital, even though you miraculously had a, a good experience in forming these wonderful relationships in the hospital. What was Lindhurst like for you, this rehabilitation center where you met a lot of like-minded people? Yeah, Lindhurst was like a breath of fresh air, really. I was in the general hospital for two months, Judy, so very confined to bed. I wasn't really getting up at all. So when I moved to Lindhurst, it was a, it's, Lindhurst is a rehab center that, I, that I'm strongly part of today, actually. Um, so it specializes in spinal cord injuries. So I, I go for all my testings, my, I, my bladder, my, I do physio there um, or workout, more of a gym, a fitness center. 
But um, so Lyndhurst specializes in spinal cord injuries. So all the patients there have in some way been inflicted with an injury or a, an issue with spinal cord. So um, going there, I was elated because the, the grounds were beautiful. Actually, even today, I, I'm really, when I look at the construction and the, um, at the architecture of the building, it's, it's got skylights in it. So, I mean, it was just so adorning. Uh, to to be brought in to such a such a wonderful atmosphere. Yes, and and you describe how beautiful the grounds were, and the fact that the room was all yellows and beautiful colors, and it was sunny. It was just a a chance to really start anew. And you had a roommate named Angie. Angela, yeah. Angie was a sad story. Angie was probably about sixteen, and she was lived. She was from Thunder Bay, so mm-hmm. she was. Um, uprooted from her family and staying at Lindhurst um, for the duration of her of her rehab. Angie's story was um, she was a, at graduation and they went to um, they all went to a cottage after graduation in Thunder Bay and she dove into a lake and broke her neck. So Angie's story was a little a little more tragic than mine because she lost the use of her arms. So we were we were real teammates uh, the whole time that I was at Lindhurst because I could help her with a lot. Yes. And you did. You you helped her brush her teeth and you did all of these things. So right away, even when you were in the most difficult period in your life, having to adjust to this new reality, you were being outward focused. I mean, this is such a, you just really live the finding your bliss mentality, which is really being outward focused. And, and you were doing that even when you were in the most difficult part of your life. And that struck me even early on in the book when I read that. It was, um, it was incredible. You also say you had a very supportive family who actually moved into a brand new wheelchair accessible home and did everything they could possibly do to make you feel comfortable. And before we get into what that transition was like, I know you've dedicated this book to your beloved late father, Gerald. Can you tell me about his impact on you during all of this? Because it seemed like he was always there encouraging you to take another step, to come home, to come home for weekends. Yeah, my family, all of them were incredible, but my father had a had a special impact on me. Um, my dad was, he was in sales and on the road a lot. He was a manager and uh, he came to Lindhurst all the time um, because he would avoid traffic actually and stop in to see me a lot. And um, my dad, emotionally, I got a, I, I gained a lot of strength through my father in terms of um, what to do and what not to do in terms of um, moving forward and still taking things one day at a time. So he, he, he shared a lot of his philosophies with me and, um, and yeah, there were in my difficult times, he would, my father's saying was always, God love you, Wendy. And he would take my hand and say, and you know, he does. <laughs> yeah. Aww. So he was very, in terms of strength, he gave me a lot of strength and, uh, he was very charismatic. Very charismatic is how I would. Uh, and he ruled. He ruled the home. So um, he put us all sort of in our place when we had to be. But he was <laughs> a strength for me. He was definitely a huge strength for me when all this came about. He sounds like a wonderful guy, and I think that he would be so proud of you. Uh, for writing this book. And, and well, I'm sure, I know he was proud of you, but this book, I think he would be um, just beyond proud of what you've accomplished. When you went, moved back home, it was difficult and your family did everything possible to make it good for you. But that must have been a very difficult transition to go from being with like-minded people, having all the space, having that wonderful mat work hour in the morning and your physiotherapy and classes and to coming back home 
and having to fit into the world? It's a very good question, actually, Judy. And I was very fortunate because Lindhurst allowed us to go home on weekends. And those weekends um, sort of prepared me for what the real world would be because it's very easy to get institutionalized. And um, by that, I mean being around um, and totally, the environment at Lindhurst was totally wheelchair accessible. We used to laugh at the people that walked in because they would have difficulty uh, bending down to reach water taps and um, because the facilities were so uh, wheelchair friendly. Um, So you could get institutionalized very easily because the facilities were so adapted. So I would go home on weekends and that's when my rude awakening would come because the home that my that we were living in wasn't accessible yet. So I would be carried into the home mm-hmm. and I, I lived in the front front office of, of, of the home yes. um, that they adapted into a bedroom for me on weekends. But um, and just going out in public, uh, just going out in public um, back in 1984. There weren't a lot of wheelchairs out in as active. Um, I, I always say, Judy, that my accident happened. My timing couldn't have been better because the bylaws were put into place. Wow. So access for as far as washrooms being being mandated, as far as uh, the parking permits um, that were that are now, uh, you know, a very important ex- part of my existence. Of course. Um, all the bylaws, as far as access goes, were starting to be implemented when my accident happened. So I knew that I would have a voice. Of course. But the real world was a rude awakening because, yeah, it, the implementation was there in terms of the bylaws, but the. Uh, the actual adaptations weren't quite up to date. I cried so many times during the book. And and one of the times I just really felt for you was before you left Lindhurst, when you actually took a driving lesson. Yes. And you got back in yes. a car. And I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Driving was a real difficulty initially because my father would take me home on the weekends. And I'll never forget the first time in a car. I was very tense. I guess having the experience of the accident, it was very jarring. And... Um, I knew that I knew that I, I would want to drive again, um, just for my independence. And I, you know, slowly adapted to to driving and being back on the road. So I went to um, Hugh McMillan Center. Hugh McMillan Center was close to Lyndhurst, and uh, they had they offered um, driving. So I drive today. I drive with hand controls. So there's a it's a it's a bar that's um, with with poles that are attached to the gas and the brake. And, um, I push, I push down, I pull down on the bar for the gas and I push in on the bar for the brake. So I've been driving since the accident occurred and the driving lesson was, yeah, it was, it was, it was very, very challenging initially because I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really driven with hand controls before. So there was, um, there was a simulator that they had set up at Hugh McMillan center. So they sort of tested me on the simulator just to make sure that my, um, my reflexes were good. And, uh, eventually that day we did go out, we did go out in a car. (laughs) I know. I I couldn't believe when I read that you literally were just working with that simulator. They said, you're an excellent student. I think you've got this. And then they said, we're going to do it today. And I think you said, well, can we wait? Can we do it? Can we do it another time? And they said, no, today's (laughs) took me aback. It was pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. And that's sort of the way to do it. I think that's sort of what happened. I think all throughout your journey was you were strong and you kept taking another step, taking another step forward. And, and that's, that's why you were able to, to move in the way that you have and, and really be an unbelievable example for so many people. I can only imagine the serenity that you felt when you finally ascended into that elevator, into your bedroom that your parents created for you in this new home that they created. And, um, 
after sharing a hospital room and a room with three patients to be in your own room. Was that an unusual feeling to finally be suddenly alone? It was. And it was, it was sort of mixed emotions initially because I was at Lindhurst for six months. So initially um, it it was very overwhelming. It it was, I was so, uh, there was a lot of gratitude um, for the fact that they, they had uprooted and bought the house for me and had it modified. But at the same time, I didn't have nurses and, you know, sort of my support system that I had. So there, there was some, it was mixed. I was very, very happy to be there um, and so grateful to have such a wonderful family that supported me. But, um, th- but yeah, it was, it, it was elating, um, but at the same time, a little overwhelming. Um, but my family, again, brought me through the process mm-hmm. beautifully. Mm-hmm. The first time you went out to a bar with your sister, Kim, and I think you were greeted by about 25 of your friends, and this was upon your return yeah. home, and, and this was your first time really out in public that way, yes. you realized it, it wasn't only the logistics of moving around in a wheelchair that you'd have to overcome, it was also the limiting attitudes of the people around you. What are your memories of your first excursion out to the bar that night. I think it started off in a very good way, but oh, it did. Greeting all my friends, yes, and and understand that they had more of an understanding in terms of what had happened, and that I would, uh, you know, at one time I was able bodied, and the whole the whole idea uh, of me transitioning. But um, yeah, being out in public, some of the people, just the attitudes that I faced. Um, I remember at one point we had to use the bathroom. I had to use the washroom and we all know that crowd, how the crowds sort of gather in bars and the music's playing. So it's hard for them to hear. And my sister led the way to the washroom and we were, we were sort of interrupted with people, you know, sort of in our way throughout it all. And at one point there was a girl that said, why would she come here? Um, and I'll never forget hearing that. Um, and it just, it devastated me because here I was doing my best to become part of the mainstream society again. And um, so there were definitely attitudes. But I think, I think that you run into that. And I'm, I'm, an, I'm a proponent on seeing the glass half full. And you're going you're gonna to run into people with, with attitudes or with, um, you know, sort of an ignorance to, to what the norm could be. And uh, you just you can't let them in any way deter you. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise, I would have never made it as far as I did. Even though your job did welcome you back with open arms, you decided that sort of so, too much had changed, and you decided to go back for some post secondary education to Sheridan College to um, enroll in their business administration course as a full time student. And this was just a year after the accident. Uh, and at the same time, you were listening to the radio one morning and you heard about Star Trek's talent, an agency that specializes in physically challenged talent. And because you'd always done modeling in your in your younger years, you decided to call the agency Rona Mickelson, a call that would really change your life. Absolutely. What happened? Actually, Judy, it was Marilyn Dennis. It was the Roger Rick and Marilyn show that I was that I was listening oh, to. Oh, okay. So, and, and I did. I actually met with Marilyn since the book. But um, so yeah, because I did. I did get a chance to work with Marilyn. But um, yeah, so it was the Roger Rick and Marilyn show in the morning. And uh, yeah, I was getting ready for school, and um, <laughs> they had talked. To, and I had already because I had modeled previously. I had thought about you know, approaching the modeling agency. It was Judy Welsh at the time. Hmm. And uh, I was, you know, thought about reapproaching Judy. And 
Um, it, I just felt through exposing the issue, the more people turned on television and picked up magazines and saw people in a wheelchair, the less they'd be so shocked and astonished by them to be out in public and, you know, sort of um, integrating with society. So that was sort of my concept and, and where the idea came from. But when I heard Rona Mickelson talking about her agency, I just, I freaked out. I, I was just so elated. So I, um, I, yeah, I phoned her and uh, the conversation went really well. And she had just asked me to send some photographs. And oh. I did. And the rest, um, the rest is history. Mean, my, my life totally evolved. Yeah. We're going to take a short commercial break right now. When we come back, more with Wendy Murphy back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. We have a very special guest, Wendy Murphy, with us today, the author of this truly incredible book called Wendy Murphy's Law, Whatever Can Go Wrong Can Be Made Right. And we've been having a, a delightful conversation. So, Wendy, what happened? Can you tell us about your best friend, Grania and your memories of her, because I think that was probably one of the toughest things for you to deal with since the accident was losing your best friend. Absolutely. Um, and it, it slowed down my process because I did a lot of mourning before and there was a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt that, um, you know, that we didn't put the seatbelt on and that I didn't get in the front seat and all of that. But Grania was, she was a breath of fresh air. She was, um, extremely uh, vibrant. She was very vivacious, uh, very outgoing. Um, she was, she was a lovely, lovely young woman. Um, we were, we were very, very close. She was like my right hand really. Um, in terms of, uh, we, we did have a separation in high school for a year or two and, um, we had just sort of reconvened our, our relationship. Um, before the accident had happened. Um, but yeah, she was, she was a huge portion of my life and the, we were called ink and stink, you know, just, uh, never separated. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so wow. she was, she was wonderful, a wonderful part of my life. She, uh, I think, would be very proud of what you've done with your life. And um, it's almost like in her memory, you've you've done so many wonderful things. And we were just talking before the break about how you were on Roger, Rick and Marilyn and you heard about this contest and this agency and you contacted the agency, Rona Mickelson. And this was an agency that specializes in physically challenged talent. And it, it did change your life when you were accepted in the agency. And one of your first jobs was at the Bay modeling. And that must have been so exciting. Do you remember that shoot? Can you describe it? Absolutely, I remember the shoot. There was two people in the in the green well, the green room or the prep room, I guess. Yeah, 
uh, one girl, the, the one girl that uh, that assisted, that was part of my my shoot with me, she was incredible, uh, just in terms of her acceptance. And it was very awkward initially, you know, especially to see a wheelchair. And I mean, sometimes you faced people or the people that that didn't really see me as part of the the norm I guess again you run into attitudes all the time yeah and especially in in such a superficial world it was uh because modeling you know the way perfection is sort of uh personified and mm-hmm. um all of that so um but yeah the first shoot was wonderful um and we were put in opposite sort of colors and but we matched and um yeah and the photographer was mm. very receptive wow and then you got a role on the hit CBC show Street Legal. I know Sonia Smith. I know a lot of the people on that show. That must have been so thrilling to get that call, that audition. It was. Actually, Sonia was wonderful because I'll never forget one of my first days of taping. Um, it was Sonia and Eric Peterson. And there was a scene where they had me, um, they were sort of profiling me. They had me come down the come down the courtroom or the, the hallway. And uh, they had Sonia and, and Eric Peterson sort of meet and me sort of wheel between the two of them and Sonia Smith was was very receptive to me and you know sort of put her hand on her hip and said girl you're really moving that thing that's so amazing you know I think and I wonder about this Wendy do you think it is your fearlessness that is one of the things that has propelled you to such heights I couldn't believe when I got to the chapter about not only did you drive a car immediately you know before leaving um Lindhurst but you even went to BC and you went skiing yes I did and I'll never forget the <laughs> ski trip yeah because my mother thought that I was definitely out to kill myself at that point because oh, <laughs> I'd broken my leg I'd broken my leg at oh. Honeypot which is which is a, a bump on on ground uh, compared to the hills that I was going to be facing in BC, but yeah, it was um, again through my modeling and um, and my acting. Uh, I guess I became a spokesperson for for the disabled community, and CADS, the Canadian Association for Disabled Skiers, they want they wanted someone that would sort of represent the disabled community to uh, promote. Uh, mono skiing to the average person and they asked me and I agreed and my mother thought I was crazy because um, I had broken my leg in grade seven and just on yeah on a, on a very small hill but um, no it was a wonderful experience it was um, just you know what I, I was always very open to anything that was anything that would expose it became my purpose anything that would expose and uh, and and teach other people um that we're, we're here and we're not going away <laughs> exactly. uh, sort, of, sort of mentality. Yeah. Like, wow. um, and that we're really capable of doing just about anything that we're given the opportunity to do. So incredible. Your career then really started to take off after this all. And you got a job as a part-time field reporter for a show called Street Noise on YTV. And your career was in a real upswing as you write with modeling jobs at the Bay, Sears, working on air as a reporter. And as you write, there was very little time to dwell on the small stuff and your mission of just, as you've just said, your mission of promoting the issue of wheelchairs in the disabled community seemed to take on a life of its own. You became Miss Venus Toronto in 1993 in a pageant (laughs) and went on to compete internationally, receiving the Contestant Choice Award at the Miss Venus International Pageant in Boca Raton, Florida. Can you describe what that experience was like? Uh, That was was pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, it was... um, 
uh, the pageant again it was thought that it was it would be a great sort of stepping stone and um, something that was never done before uh, in terms of me entering the pageant and I thought why not you know um, I had a glass of white wine which loosened me up a little bit but yeah that was, um, but yeah it, it, my agent just said, Wendy, well, you know, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Why don't you go for it? So I did. Wow. And uh, I ended up placing um, placing third that night, uh, the first night that I went there. And I had to go back um, in terms of, um, I guess, the finalists then all came together. And uh, and I ended up winning the pageant. But that was, I think, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was so, sh- um, so, so brazen and, and, courageous to do it um and i think that uh i think that i really shocked the judges in terms of my um my tenacity in terms of doing it so i think that's what really really got me to win the pageant it was it was a wonderful experience and i have to say too judy i've always been extremely proud to be a canadian because in canada things are mainstreamed um in terms of you know like to be inclusive is is everything because you know in some of my some of my uh my situations outside of outside of canada um, because there was Miss Wheelchair USA is so they segregate they segregate um, uh, their individual yeah individuals whereas with with Canada we're just so um, I guess because of we have the multicultural sort of mentality and um, everyone is is made to fit in we're a mosaic and uh, so I've always been extremely proud um, to be Canadian for that reason. What was it like interviewing Gloria Estefan? That must have been incredible. It was after her accident. She had a bus accident and you got to interview her. And I was so impressed with how you just were able to really isolate the most important questions and just go for it in the time that was allotted to you. Yes, it was. Um, she was she was an incredible. Uh, and I'll have to tell you. Uh, I guess with the wheelchair and um, my upper body get, is very stronger now because I use the wheel. To, I use my my hands and my arms to to put to get around. But um, when sure. I when I handshake, when I give people handshakes, my dad always said to my sister and I, girls, when you shake a person's hand, you shake it firm and you look them in the eye. So I have a very firm <laughs> handshake. Yes. And when Gloria Astefan took my hand and shook it, she now I, I realized what other people were saying about my handshake. She, it was so firm. She was so grounded in all that she did that it was just it was it was my first impression of her. But she was extremely extremely focused in terms of her career and uh, her family. Again, I think you're invi- again, Judy. You're envi- you're a product of your environment. Your environment really says a lot about the person that you that you evolve into. And she she had said that Emilio was was one of her biggest um, supporters and was determined to see her back on her feet so she was very fortunate that way but um the interview the interview went superbly well and uh and yeah she was um she was yeah just a wonderful wonderful first time first time star anyway for me because she was so you also wendy went on to be a hidden guest on the legendary cbc television show front page challenge with pierre burton in charlottetown prince edward island that must have been so cool well my parents were totally thrilled because i mean (laughs) i wasn't really a viewer of the show as much as my aunts and uncles i mean my family my family were thrilled with the idea 
And um, <laughs> I didn't know much about the show. Yeah. So um, anyone that was that was older um, were were avid fans of the show. So yeah, for me it was. Um, it was quite. It was quite a quite an experience. And Pierre Burton, he was he was oh just lovely. He was a lovely man. So so exciting. I love the part in the book where you talk about Phyllis Newman, who was the producer on the first season of this show, Finding Your Bliss. And I love the story of how she helped you with your demo reel that day. So I was dabbling in the modeling, and I was dabbling in the you know the. Uh, on again, off again appearances at, with street legal, but nothing was sound. Nothing was keeping me there. So I thought television reporting would be my next sort of challenge mm-hmm. and something that I wanted to accomplish. So, and I wanted city TV. I really did want city TV. City TV was very representative of the, uh, of the city and had a lot of minorities already. So I, I already knew where I wanted to go. Um, and, uh, so I needed a demo tape. As we know in television and radio, it's so important to have a good demo reel. And I know who provided that awesome reel for you. It was Phyllis Newman. It's, it's such a resume for me. And people today are still freaking out over what a great job she did with the demo tape. <laughs> I really want to get to the most exciting thing, which was your meeting at 2 p.m. on that Thursday afternoon with City TV television mogul Moses Neimer and, of course, the owner of Zoomer Radio. What was that like? That was a two and a half hour meeting. It was, I was <laughs> extremely nervous. I had read about the man for years and, um, and I loved city TV. I loved what it represented. And, uh, just in terms of all that he had done f- with television, um, in terms of, yeah, the, the changes that he had made and, um, a much more laid back sort of, uh, atmosphere is what he offered. And yeah, so I was, I was very poised at um, approaching City TV, and it turned out that Jay Levine, who um, was the head of or producing um, fashion television, he had passed on my press kit to Moses, and uh, yeah, so my interview with him was just fabulous. I was very nervous, to say the least, and he was <laughs> accommodating. Um, yeah, he was he was wonderful. He was wonderful, extremely accepting in my in my in my differences and uh yeah we were we were together for quite a while I love I love in the interview you explained he asked you a lot of questions about who you were and what your place was in your family and you know um and and also you you offered up this information that at City TV people do not tell the news they share the news and you talked about Anne Raskowski and her strengths and all of a sudden Moses dialed an extension and Anne appeared and he invited her into the meeting what was that like that was incredible. Like, again, he, it was, you know, when you, you almost feel like you're dreaming because here this man was someone that I read about for years and then he brings him into his office and he's so, um, so um, accepting and um, extremely kind and uh, there was no ego or, or, yeah, he was very humble through it all. And, uh, yeah, so this Ann Ruskowski, I'll never forget because I, I knew a lot <laughs> of people that didn't like Ann Ruskowski. They thought she was too too hard and I found her very confident. So, yeah, I just said that I, I thought she was phenomenal and he walked over to his desk <laughs> and picked up his phone and said, hey, are you around? And sure enough, sure enough, Ann Ruskowski came in and and, and met me but uh, so the interview was definitely very memorable 
he he actually took your demo reel, he put it inside the VCR player. And then for, for those viewers, a VCR is what we used to watch our demo reels in. And and your first actual TV interview for CTV was at Lyndhurst. And then one year later, you were hired as a contributing reporter at City TV, where you worked for eight phenomenal years. Can you tell us about this life-changing job that you held for almost a decade and how it changed your life? It was it was great because first of all my stories my stories were personal milestones and community events so the stories really hit hit home with the viewers so I wasn't sharing hard news so it, a lot of them would be a bone marrow um, bone marrow donor donor clinic it would be uh, personal it would be a hundredth mm-hmm. birthdays it would be a sixtieth wedding anniversary so they were very very uh, human human like stories um, and surviving stories and. Uh, so the stories themselves were wonderful and everyone loved, uh, I guess, to see that sort of segment come in hard news. A lot of people were very receptive to my stories. So um, and what I did for other people, um, I'll never forget this one day I was doing um, it was disabled, disabled uh, wheelchair racing Um down at Centennial Park and I was you know I I would meet the cameramen there normally because I couldn't really jump into their trucks the way the other girls did so I would I would drive and meet the cameraman and the cameraman left me with the tape and I had to I would drive back to the station with the tape that was done and this woman walked over to me at one point and she just said you're Wendy Murphy aren't you and I said yeah and she said to me hard time I, I can't believe what you do oh my goodness and then I just said to her you know I said that regardless of how bad life seems there's always someone that's struggling more and if you could focus on that I said and if I could be that person um you know just to sort of get snap out of it because there's always and Lindhurst Lindhurst was phenomenal for me because there were people that broke their neck and couldn't use their hands and those are people that I wait I think of every morning I wake up so you when you have your life in perspective and when you know that there's other people that are much worse off, um, you start to feel gratitude again. So I think that's that's really important. And when I met that woman, it just it really showed me what I'm doing. What I was doing was really making a difference for other people, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you do and you have after spending more than three decades in a wheelchair. What do you feel have been your greatest accomplishments and what still needs to be achieved? My greatest accomplishment, yeah, was probably um, probably finally getting on city. Like, I, I mean, my greatest accomplishment is the changes that I make and the um, the attitudes and perceptions that I change because I believe things happen for a reason. And I do believe I'm very spiritual and I, you know, believe that God or the, you know, the good spirits, the universe has given me a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity in terms of, um, you know, what I've been able to do in terms of changing. It's given me a platform to some degree. And uh, I tried to use it as positively as I could to change, to let people know that, uh, you know, that, that life goes on when something devastating happens and that it's, you know, it's not all over. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really life is in your mind. Life is made up in your mind in terms of you know, what you're able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And the more that you limit yourself, the less you're going to achieve. So, so long as you have the right frame of mind mm-hmm. and the focus, um, I think that anything is accomplished. 
accomplishable. What would you still like to achieve? What would I still like to achieve? The access issue is is huge for me now, um, just in terms of, mm-hmm. because back in 1984, you never really saw wheelchairs out in public. And now, now we're everywhere. I mean, just in terms of um, public notice and, and all of that. I mean, we're all over the place. It's just barriers barriers we're still facing and and that's sort of the frustrating part like right now i'm i'm dealing with the uh, parking permits which um a lot of times with this with the aging population judy it's become a a huge problem because um there's there's so many more people needing the spaces and not more spaces being being Hmm. you know created um, yeah Sure. So yeah, so I'm with Queens Park in that because uh, when I, I get anxieties now to go out in public because I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to find a spot, and uh, yeah, so that's so that's one uh, one avenue that I'd still really like to accomplish something at. Thank you so much to Wendy Murphy for being here today. We're going to go to a short commercial break. When we come back, you will meet our featured artists of the week who are now also grand prize winners of the Breakfast Television and America's Got Talent competition season. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Mainly sunny for your Sunday, a high of 22. Cloudy with showers tonight, risk of a storm, a low of 16. Tomorrow, cloudy, good chance of showers, risk of a storm, a high of 23. Right now, it's 12 degrees Celsius in Toronto, 54 Fahrenheit. I'm Jeremy Logan. News next at 10 o'clock on Zoomer Radio. Opinions expressed on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Uh, joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing good. Also joining us this morning, uh, former uh, Washington Capitol and a brief stint with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Lou Franceschetti. Good morning, Lou. How are you? Morning, Wally. Morning, Naz. Morning, Lou. Uh, guys, we're trying to... Hoping to have Butch Carter on with us this morning. We had lined him up for a uh, for a one hour roundtable. Uh, haven't been able to connect with him, so uh, was going to start off the show talking about Raptors win. So, but let's let's put that off for a bit. Let's uh, let's see if we can get uh, let's see if we can get Butch on the phone, and uh, uh, he'd be the perfect guy to talk about it, the Raptors and Celtics. So let's uh, let's uh, let's change topics. Uh, uh, I was going to start off with the Raptors. Uh, there's a lot of 
sports to talk about. Uh, we're certainly there's no shortage. Uh, we spent most of the spring uh, not having uh, not having much current to talk about. Uh, but currently, everything everything's going on now, as they say. Everything's going on. Uh, of course, the the uh, NHL's getting down to the to the final four. Uh, the, Raptors and Celtics and basketball's heading towards the finals. The Jays are heading towards the the playoffs. Uh, the MLS team, the Reds, <laughs> Toronto FC's uh, going at it at a game against the Whitecaps, Italian Grand Prix, Nations Cup in Europe, and now we've got football coming up as well. I mean, the only sport that doesn't seem to be have a season this year probably. Wally, the Wally, breaking news: Washington Capitals are going to sign Mike Babcock. Well, I, is uh, is that uh, is that confirmed? Because I understand it's it's him and uh, him and Gordy uh, Gordy Machine Gun Gallant uh, <laughs> uh, are uh, are the two top uh, potential uh, uh, coaches in Washington. Formerly with that the Knights, Babcock goes to Washington. Uh, that would be very interesting, uh, Lou. Your thoughts on? Uh, on Mike Babcock and the Washington Capitals. Of course, Babcock uh, was fired here, I guess, in November, if memory serves me well. In a, a, a lot of controversy with him afterwards in terms of some of his coaching techniques, um, specifically some encounters with Mitch Marner that got reported afterwards. Um, you know, obviously built a, a, a lifetime reputation as one of the premier coaches in the NHL. Uh, Washington Capitals haven't been the same team since they lost Barry Trotz. Uh, Lou, your thoughts on uh, Babcock as the Washington Capital coach or uh, or, uh, or, 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 or or Gallant, um, former Knights coach? Your your thoughts on that? Well, you know what the there's two different styles there. You got Gerard Gallant, who was, who's an ex-player. He's got a different style and just lets the players take care of themselves, and he, he more or less. He lets them play their style. And then you got Mike Babcock, who's, who plays with an iron fist. He really, uh, you know, he doesn't have any young talent or, that he had in, in Toronto, like a Marner or a Matthews. Or he's got older guys, Kuznetsov, uh, Ovi. And if he can get Ovi to, to buy into to what he's trying to sell, you know, I, I think it's going to be a good fit because they really didn't have anything there with Todd Reardon. And it's more or less when Barry left, to go to Long Island, it, 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 he took everything with him in the sense that he took all their mojo away. And I don't think anybody uh, on the on the Caps really respected uh, Reardon's style or uh, what he had to offer. And when you don't have respect for your coach or we don't have a tough time playing for your coach, then you're not going to succeed. And I think that's what happened this year. If you look at the Caps uh, in that first round, there was no like, – it looked like they didn't – they didn't even want to be there, uh, and they didn't even buy into the anything that Todd Reardon had to uh, had to sell. So I think Babcock's going to be a great fit there, uh, only if Ovi and any young guys. Remember, you got John Carlson there. Uh, um, I don't know who they're going to have in that because Hope is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So time will tell. But you know, either one of them is going to be a great selection uh, for that franchise. Uh, Nez, uh, you brought it up this morning. I, I, I read the same report. Apparently, he's been Babcock's actually been interviewed. It's not just speculation. 
Uh, Gallant uh, has been interviewed. It's not just speculation. Um, you saw it. What do you think of it? I, I think Babcock's uh, the right guy for Washington. I don't think Gallant is. Gallant uh, is a good young guy's coach. There isn't any young players on Washington. So I, I see it as a really good fit for them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Babcock didn't, uh, um, you know, didn't, you know, there was there's reports at times about the obviously friction between him and Kyle Dubas. I mean, that manifested itself, uh, I guess, in a lot of different ways, and specifically uh, I, uh, the one the one area I, I thought that uh, uh, you could tell the friction between Babcock and Dubas was the signing of Jason Spezza. So, uh, you know, they bring Spezza, and Spezza just wasn't. Just didn't um, didn't fit in in Mike Babcock's plans. May have fit in in Kyle Dubas's plans, and uh, and we're also we don't know if if, if Jason's going to be back next year. Uh, uh, you know, he's 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 at, at uh, apparently league minimum. Uh, may correct me if I'm wrong, Lou, uh, but he's you know obviously at the lower end of the salary scale. Scored nine goals, uh, fulfilled a useful role, and actually. Uh, Gave him a little bit of a buzz. I think it was Game Six when they were down three nothing, and and, and Spezza decided to drop his gloves, which uh, seemed to turn that game around. May have may have a season left in him, maybe one or two, but uh, the Leafs didn't seem like a Babcock type of team. Uh, Babcock was more on uh, the gritty defensive side, and Leafs were more built to be an offensive juggernaut. Uh, Lou, your thoughts? Uh, is is the Babcock Washington? Is that a fit in terms of the players that exist there? And I guess it all it all comes down. You can perhaps you can comment on this. You know, Ovechkin is the franchise. Let's be let's be honest. He's been the guy since he came into the league. He's a Washington Capital. Uh, much criticized, uh, perhaps earlier in the career, because he couldn't deliver the Holy Grail. But uh, you know, he's uh, he brings it on the ice. Uh, passionate player. Uh, when they went to the Stanley Cup that year, seemed to carry the team on his shoulders. Um, you know, sort of dispelled that whole thing that only Canadians want to win the Stanley Cup. Man, he wanted to win that Stanley Cup bad. And I and I think Ovechkin wants to be around to break Wayne Gretzky's record. And I think he's passionate about winning another cup. And I think the big thing has to be which coach is the best fit with Alex Ovechkin. Is that, well, you know, Wally, it's just how like much, uh, how much how much how much does Ovechkin control the narrative? I, I think Ovechkin really controls a lot of it because you look what happened when Dale Hunter was there as well. If you do recall, when Dale got in there as a, as a part-time coach, they went on a big run, and. At the end of the day, it was more or less it was Vetchkin says I can't play like this blocking shots and and put into the style of the, that that Dale put in, but they were winning. So now you bring in Barry Trotz, who's a more, more or less a freewheeling, not freewheeling, very very structural defensive style, but he doesn't take the flow out of the offensive. He doesn't take the the uh, your offensive game away because he knew that Ovi was more or less the guy up front. And when you see that, and, and Again, Ovi is the, the one that, if he's in the mood, 
he's the one that's going to be happy and he's going to be carrying the rest of the guys. But if he's not in the mood and he doesn't buy into, into Babcock's system, the other guys are going to see this and they're going to say, well, why do I have to work as hard as that I have to? Because Obi's not doing it. He's not buying into the system. And another thing we've got to look at, how much say is Babcock going to say in the personnel that they bring in or they have right now? You know, because there's a lot of holes in that in that franchise. You know, you know they ended up first, uh, first or second before this pandemic hit. But if you look at it, Philadelphia was on a roll, and so was so was Carolina and the Islanders, and Washington was a little bit more. They were going downward. So I think Ovi is going to have a big say on on who they bring in, and probably you know Babcock's going to sit down with Ovi and, and try to persuade him to to see what what he has to offer with this organization. Uh, Ness? Yeah. I think Washington is going to do the right thing and sign Babcock. How would uh, the play of why, Ness? Why, had... why, why, why do you think that's the right? I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand why you think that's the right thing. Um, They're a veteran team, and uh, Babcock's the per- perfect veteran coach. Uh, more, more, uh, and your 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 thoughts on uh, Gallant, the former uh, Vegas coach. Both you guys, Naz and Lou. Well, I, I think Naz, uh, Gallant's done a great job with Vegas. He had a he had a great job with uh, his last team that they let him go, even though that you know they were winning at the time. So, and remember, Gallant played the game. Gallant understands the. The, the idiosyncrasies of, of players, especially the, the players of, of this era. And, and Babcock, more or less, he tries to play mind games. He played mind games here with the younger kids, but he, he doesn't have the younger, the younger top-end talent with, uh, with Washington that he had here in Toronto. You know, he, uh, Tavares bought in, but I think Matthews and, uh, not Matthews, yeah, Matthews and, and Marner had a tough time buying into him. You know, we, Everything was dictated when when Matt when uh, Babcock flew all the way out to Las Vegas, yeah, or sorry Arizona, to talk to Matthews after that one series that Matthews wanted to play more head to head against Bergeron, and he didn't let them. And, and right. Marner the same thing, the, the more or less going in the middle of the dressing room and and spilling the beans against his own players. Say that's a mind game. You're not going to do that with Over. You're not going to do that with uh, Kuznetsov. Are you going to do that with Tom Wilson? Who else is there? They're Backstrom. You no, know, those are their top four players that they have. Blackstrom's been in the league almost ten years. Are you going to be able to play those kind of mind games with uh, with those players? I don't think so. So, no, and I think, I, yeah, and I, I think uh, Babcock's. Um, you know, he was. He, you know, during his during his run, premier coach in the in the National Hockey League, Toronto. Uh, he was. You know, everybody was after him when uh, when he decided it was time to leave Detroit. But you look back on. Uh, Look back on the teams he had in Detroit, and uh, you know, veteran players, right, um, all the way around. Uh, and that that seems to be, uh, you know, that seems to be the Mike Babcock type of team. And um, you know, he might be, he might be. I, I don't disagree with you guys. I I think he probably is a, a really good fit in Washington. His style of coaching, and. And uh, I think Ovechkin, more than anything else, the one thing Ovechkin appreciates more than anything else is winning. And if he and if he respects you as a coach, and if he thinks 
your uh, your your coaching methods and your coaching principles are going to take the team to a Stanley Cup. He'll rally the troops. Uh, I certainly have no doubt. So, Naz, thanks for bringing the uh, uh, Mike Babcock uh, Washington Capital situation to our attention. We're still trying to get a hold of Butch, uh, so we'll uh, haven't been able to do that. Uh, having problems connecting with his phone, world to world. If we can't get a hold, we certainly will talk about the Raptors. But uh, we're going to hold off a little while, uh, see if we can get him on because he'd be the perfect guy to talk some Raptors uh, and NBA basketball. Uh, aside from Mike Babcock uh, potentially going to the Washington Capitals, uh, there's been some hockey on the ice this week. Um, the game last night, the New York Islanders um, basically gave the Philadelphia Flyers a thumping, not necessarily in a physical sense, but on the ice. Flyers weren't really in the game last night other than perhaps the first five minutes. And uh, they get uh, Tampa Bay. They're all heading out from Toronto. That's the end of the Toronto bubble. Now they're all heading out to Edmonton where the Final Four is going to take place. Uh, It's the Islanders against Tampa. It's the Dallas Stars who in overtime beat uh, beat Colorado in Game 7. Certainly that was a thrilling game. And the Knights who... uh, uh, pounded the Vancouver goalie the entire night. Uh, basically, it was one of those games where the ice seemed to be uh, tilted in the other direction. But finally, they broke through and managed to beat the Vancouver goalie in the in the last uh, few minutes of the game and ended up winning three nothing. So it's the Stars and uh, the Stars and the Las Vegas Knights, which is a story in and of itself, and the Islanders and. Tampa. Let's start off with Islanders. And uh, first of all, a shout out. Um, you know, he's been uh, been a friend of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. His father's a good friend of mine. Uh, Michael Del Cole, uh, Barry Trotz, showed enough confidence to stick Michael in the lineup last night in a Game 7 situation. That speaks volumes. Uh, Michael had his usual discipline game, uh, played his position, and didn't look out of place in a very, very pressure-filled game. And congratulations to Michael Del Cole. The uh, New York Islanders, Barry Trotz, Lou Lamorello, this team reflects the coaching philosophies and the managerial philosophies of those, those two guys. Let me tell you what Alain Vignol said about the New York Islanders after the game last night, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys. He said, the Islanders are built for this. They've got size. They've got power. They use it. Um, Or it tells you what we don't have here in Toronto, doesn't it? Luke? He couldn't have said it in any better way. And they got speed. And at this time of year, if you can't catch speed, you're not going to beat anybody. I I look at the Islanders, and uh, Nino couldn't have said it any better. I watched the game last night. They're on you every single minute. They got a great fourth line with Casey Kazikas, Clutterbuck, and, and Matt Martin, who couldn't play here in Toronto. Okay? They're on you. They're physical to the point where they get in your face. They got guys like uh, Nelson. They got guys like uh, their captain. Um, I can't even think of him right now. Uh, Lee, got- and- Andrew Lee. Who's that? Andres Lee. Lee. Yeah. 27. They got, uh, they got Beauvillier. 
They got Barzell. They got Eberly. They got no superstar. Well, they got Barzell's a big, a superstar. They got a big physical defense yeah. that will make you pay the price in the corners and in front of the net. But they're mobile enough that can move the puck. And you saw last night, two of the defensemen, Andy Green and uh, – I can't even remember the guy's name now that, uh, that, that scored the goal. Uh, so they can beat you in any way. This is a younger, tougher version of the Columbus Blue Jackets that Tampa Bay played last year. But Tampa has got the speed, so it's going to be a great matchup because we're going to see tonight or uh, Monday night on if Tampa can withhold or withstand the uh, the pressure and the physical presence that the Islanders are. And the Islanders don't have any big guys. They're just big and strong, and they play to their size. They're the biggest team in the NHL, one in Dallas. It's interesting. The heaviest two teams that are in the Final Four, Dallas and the Islanders. Uh, you know, it. You know, we uh, can't remember how long ago was it. Naz called me on a uh, he called me on a Saturday and said we have to replay our new Lamarilla interview from a couple of years ago, and 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 this was when Lamarilla was still the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we went back and listened to that interview. And this, you know, like, like Lamorello, we know. Like, you know, he's not that difficult to read his mind in terms of how he wants his players to play. And Barry Trotz is, you know, he's a perfect coach for uh, for a Lou Lamorello team. Um, highly disciplined. And, you know, in... in, in and I don't want, necessarily want to turn this into a criticism of the Toronto Maple Leafs this morning. That's, uh, you know, we've done enough of that. But it just goes to show when you, it, it, teams are built by having valuable parts in, in every, in every built in a certain way. And, you know, you've got to have your skill players, but your team cannot be entirely, you can't build an entirely skilled team. You can't have 18 players that are all trying to do the same thing. And, and I think if the model, uh, certainly, you know, when the Washington Capitals broke through, you know, you look through their lineup, why did they break through? Because they added some toughness. You know, um, they, they put in some guys who were some grinders, and, and, and that's what the Islanders are. They're, they are, and, and I disagree with the part about, uh, haven't got a superstar. To me, watching Matthew Barzell, and it's not just as uh, not not just as part of this series. Been watching him all year long. This this kid's a superstar. Let's not kid ourselves. This, this, you know he can skate like like nobody else in the league. He's almost at a Connor McDavid level. Um, all the tools. And then, and then you look at, you know, you're watching the game last night, and this Pajot kid, and I'm, and I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, where, where did he come from? And wait, where did he come from? He came from the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, you look at the Ottawa Senators, and, you know, we've got to get Eugene and, 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 and Pierre back on the show. You know, with the draft picks that they have and some of the young talents that they have, you imagine their lineup with Pajot and Mark Stone in it? Uh, not even counting uh, Eric Carlson, but, you know, Eric Carlson was traded in some of the pieces that are coming are as a result of that. But uh, Islanders, uh, I think Tampa's got their hands full, Luke. Um, you know, I'm watching them play last night. They totally dominated the Philadelphia Flyers, who were the, probably the hottest team coming into the playoffs. And the Flyers are a good team. And 
they were no match for the Islanders last night. They just Islanders were hungry, and as they said, they're a team. They've got size. They've got skill in some places. And and look and look, and look at Barry Trotz. You, you, you know, what did he do last night? He puts his backup goalie in the net in Game Seven. And Barry Trotz is going to be the Olympic coach for Canada the next Olympics. He's got to be the oh, guy. Barry Trotz. I, I Barry mean, Trotz. Always, yeah. Yeah, I've always thought he was. And Lou, I'll, I'll turn it back to you. Um, you know, the Islanders, uh, Tampa. Uh, what do you What do you think of that series? I, I, I think I think it's going to be a great series because with all the talent. Um, that Tampa has up front. Um, let's see if Stamkos comes up. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, nobody's think, saying anything about Stamkos. What's um, but all we're, all we're hearing the, is the Islanders are going to have the Islanders are going to have the, the matchups. Any matchup they want, they're going to have because you you can remember you can set up a fourth line, and I'm I'm a big fourth line guy because that, that was a role that I had. But uh, the, the Islanders can set up a, a fourth line matchup against Tampa's first line, and they won't look out of place. You know, and they also got uh, guys that, they got all three lines or all four lines that, that are willing to check. They're not, uh, they're, they're great offensively, and I know you say Barzell's going to be a future superstar. I look at a superstar like a, an Ovechkin or, or somebody of that nature, and he might be that one. But he's not going to, you know, Lou's not going to give him the money that that they gave. Uh, no, but Lou doesn't throw around money like a drunken sailor. You yeah, know he does, is, right? exactly. But right? It, they're, they're going to match up well. Uh, I think it's going to be the Islanders probably in six or seven because their their depth and their size and their physicalness is going to uh, is going to outlast uh, uh, Tampa. And one of the big keys is you have to wear down uh, Victor Hedman and you have to. Uh, more or less, uh, omit the pestiness of that uh, net line that uh, that Tampa has, and I think the Islanders have the have the players to do that uh, on a, on an even level uh, to match up with them. And, you know, they've got the offense. They got uh, Eberle. It's going to match up well against Braden uh, Point. Uh, Kucherov and Barzell are going to wash each other off. So they do have the talent there to to match the Islanders up front, but they also have the grittiness of these guys. You look at Pajot and Bouvillier. I can't believe how fast that kid Bouvillier skates. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And if you look at their penalty killers, like Philadelphia went 0 for 17. I could see why. As soon as the puck is down the ice, the the the, uh, the four chuckers are right on them. They don't even give them a time to, uh, to pick up the puck and, and move it up. Anyways, the new on that note, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We've got to go to break. Uh, we had a spirited hockey discussion that's already taken us to the middle of the hour. We are going to talk, obviously talk some Raptors. And continue to see if we can get a hold of Butch. Uh, we'll give it. We'll give it another shot. And uh, when we come back from break, we'll uh, we'll have a little chat about uh, Las Vegas and Dallas. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact-free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. Are you real ready? 
If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Also joining us this morning, Lou Franceschetti. Just before we went to break, uh... We're uh, going to come back and talk uh, the other series. Uh, have another break in the show, and then we're going to give away some more Pizzaville coupons today. Another $50 one and another $25 one. Uh, listen in. I'll be giving out those numbers shortly, and uh, first two callers in will win those coupons. Gentlemen, uh, Islanders, Tampa Bay should be fascinating. Uh, Dallas and Vegas. Uh, that should be an interesting series. The bookmakers... Uh, you want to go lay some bets today? Uh, interestingly enough, you want to go lay some bets in Vegas. Uh, Vegas is the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. In um, Tampa Bay, second. Uh, uh, Islanders and Dallas Stars are considered long shots. But uh, turn over to you, Lou. You, Lou, Dallas, Vegas. What do you see? I, I like. Uh... I like Dallas. They've, they've got the size to match up uh, against um, Vegas' physicality. Uh, they've got enough speed up front. They've got enough size up front. Uh, I think it's going to come down like anything else. It's going to come up uh, down to the two goaltenders between Lehner and uh, Fleury and Bishop and uh, Kudabin. Uh, it's going to be that kind of series. Uh, Dallas has got uh, three great mobile defensemen in Lindbergh, uh, Lindbergh, uh, Heiskinen, and um, see, I can't even remember the, the other kid's name there now. Uh, and, and so does Vegas with uh, Schmidt, uh, Theodore, and Martinez up front. Uh, similar styles. They're very uh, Vegas is very physical. Uh, obviously, they're going to miss Ryan Reeves at uh, his presence in that first game, uh, but they're going to come at you. They're not going to back down and. And Dallas has got Sagan, uh, Jody Ben, and uh, uh, and Radulov. 
So they're going to match up very, very well. And I think it's really going to come down probably to the goaltending, but I'm going to like Dallas in six or seven. Ness? I'm going to take Dallas also because of the experience. A lot of veteran players. Corey Perry is a playoff killer. And there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of skating and a lot of hitting going on in that series. That's going to be a great series to watch. Interestingly enough, I, I'm uh, going to look at it a different way. I, 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 I'm, picking, I'm picking Vegas. They just seem to be solid from top to bottom. Um, you know, and they played... Uh, interestingly enough, um, you know they—they, they, uh, I can't remember what month they fired—they uh, fired their coach, uh, but that didn't didn't seem to have hurt them at all. They're—they're uh, they're like they seem to me like built like the Islanders. They're big, strong. They fight for the puck, and there's no there's no there's no empty ice out there. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look at it that uh, they've met Dallas Stars met their match this time around they're in, they're in tough against a tough physical team and there isn't going to be enough room on the ice for uh, some of their skill players you know interestingly enough Vegas what is this their third year in the league is it three or four three three just um, <laughs> it's remarkable the success they've had. In, in such a short period of time, uh, and I guess it goes back to the to the hypothesis I I I, I, I uh, or the theory I started off the show with is you don't you don't build a team with 18 skill players, and you have five or six players that all do the same thing. Uh, you've got to have teams that are built um, to have different skill sets and different you know you need some size you need some power. And it's still a man's game, isn't it, Lou? Um, it, it definitely is. And again, Vegas is built on. I'm looking at it. No superstars. There's there's four or five guys on that team that can beat you. Not one individual uh, that certain teams rely on. Yes. Yeah, they have Stone and Pat Pacioretty that which they added last year. They're going to be the keys to the series. But I still think Dallas has the veteran presence. And Pavelski is playing for that team, too. And they've got a lot of veterans. And I think Tyler Sagan is going to break out. He's been benched lately, and he's going to break out in this series. Uh, don't, uh, I, I don't discount going, going back to the uh, Colorado series. That was, uh, I mean, watching McKinnon play hockey, um, every time I see him uh, play, and, I mean, he, if he isn't the best player in the game, uh, he's got to be one E and one B with Connor McDavid. I mean, he he's just he's just an incredible. It's too bad we can't see him more often. And you know, and, and you know, and like two of the two of the great NHL players are you know essentially out west, and you know, if you're an Eastern time zone, you know, it's tough to tough to watch them uh, unless you're willing to stay up till late hours of the night. <clears throat> but I I mean, I would love and. You know, and then we saw them, and I mean, the, they were in the lineup together on that under twenty three team uh, that played in the in the last World Cup. Man, wouldn't you guys love to see Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon skate on the same team, wearing a red and white jersey with a maple leaf on it? How about um, on the same line? <laughs> uh, and you put a pass like Marshall. Wow, I mean, line. I mean, you know, when when they uh, did they. Uh, 
did they decide they weren't going to the 2000 uh, to the next Winter Olympics? Yeah, they are going. They are going. They are. Oh, they decided. I mean, I I can't wait. I can't wait to see some of this young talent. And then it's not just Canada. Uh, you know, we're, I, I love I love to see the young talent that's in the NHL today go head to head wearing their national jerseys. I mean, you you look through Canada's lineup and McKinnon and 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 and, and uh, you know McDavid and and Kale McCarr, the defenseman in Colorado, unbelievable. Um, and you look at some of the great young American talent, and you know you look at this kid on the Dallas defense, Hiskinen. Yep. Uh, I think he, he lines up for Finland, doesn't he? Yep. 21 years old, he's got 21 points, in the, uh, and he's playing 26 minutes a game. Uh, you, look, you, know, the, you know, the Russians have some tremendous young talent. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's been a while since we've seen best on best, and there's a whole new generation that, that's, uh, that's grown up that we want to see in, uh, in uh, you know, in, in a good international hockey tournament where it's best on best ours against theirs and it's uh, I would think it's time we want to see that happen anyways gentlemen I think uh, that's enough hockey for today with I beg your indulgence uh, we've got to talk some basketball uh, we've got a few minutes before we go to our next break um, Raptors didn't look too good uh, first two games against uh, the Celtics the Celtics seem to have had their number. Um, played, uh, they were in game two until the very last possession. Uh, didn't catch that last shot. We're in game three. Kyle Lowry on uh, got inbounds. I, I can't even remember how much time was left. Was it like a second, second and a half? I have no idea. Point how three, we five. Point three five seconds. Yeah. How the Celtics left. And you know, be open it is beyond me. I, I don't know what defensive signal they missed, but thank God they missed it. And uh, he, he uh, you know, he, he, he shoots it up and it, and it goes through the twines. We win game three. And last night was a little bit more clinical, wasn't it? Uh, Raptors looked like the Raptors last night. Um, shut uh, defensively, they played well. The, Got the Celtics into shooting uh, three balls at a very, very low percentage, which is basically the difference in the game. Uh, and now we're two and two, and we seem to have the momentum. Um, we've turned it around. We faced a disaster. <laughs> we're half a second from going down three games, and now now we've got a series. And if we get through the Celtics, we seem to have solved the Celtics, uh, at least for two games anyways, because they've been our nemesis uh, for most of the year and, and in, into the last two games of this playoff. Uh, we solved the Celtics. Uh, looks like the Bucks are going down. Uh, they're down 3-0 and to, uh, to the Heat. So uh, I would say things are... Uh, not a lot better for the Raptors now than they were about four or five days ago. Ness? The Raptors beat the Celtics up last night. That's what happened. They were physical on the boards, and they were dominant. And they weren't. They didn't play like that in the first two games. Last night, there was no uh, Boston had no chance of winning that game at any point in time. And I think the Raptors are going to go on and win this series now. I thought it would be a tough series, but I think Raptors are going to do it. 
Uh, Lou, before I, I turn it over to you, uh, interesting stats from last night's game. Lowry, of course, was is playing like a man possessed. Uh, he played the out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, he played the entire second half. The entire second half. He played 44 minutes last night. He played 47 minutes in Game Three. Van Vliet played 45 minutes last night. Of course, we talked in a 48-minute game. And Siakam played 46 minutes last night. So if you want to call these guys your power three, well, Nick Nurse strapped the team to their backs last night. Um, I will, obviously, you've got some comments on Lowry. Uh, any concerns at all that uh, uh, they, can, uh, they can absorb this load uh, game after game after game? Well, you know what? It, it just shows you that Nick Nurse knows his three horses, and he played them right to the end. Guys, he more or less said, guys, we're going to go. We're going to win this game with three, these three guys playing. If they had to play 48 minutes, they would. And I'm looking at every other game that's being played. Uh, LeBron is taking time off. Uh, Davis is taking time off. Harden's taking time off. Uh, Westbrook's taking time off. Like, we're, we're, like they're sitting out maybe five, five to ten minutes every game. But now Nurse has said, guys, this is too important for us. I'm going with all you guys. And it just shows you that uh, what Lowry's got in him. I never thought of him much of a player, what, six, seven years ago when he was, when he was whining uh, about being here and, and, and playing. But I'll tell you, he put his team on his back last night. When he dove for that ball, uh, and they were up, I think, by about eight or ten points, uh, and the ball was going out, that showed me a lot when a superstar does that. It shows the team that he's in it uh, to win and win only. Uh, and the other guys are just pitching in. It seems like every single night there's one guy that's, that's standing above everybody else, but it's a different guy. It's not the same guy. Uh, you know, one night Siakam, you look at even uh, Ibaka hitting maybe two or three big shots, and there's only two or three shots that he takes at the end of the game. Gasol uh, is a big uh, defensive force back there. Uh, and even with Van Fleet, you know, just nailing the threes. So it seems like it's one different guy every single game that's coming to the forefront for these guys to, uh, to, to be successful. Yeah, certainly uh, um, Siakam seems to have raised his game the last... Uh, I mean, he was, uh, he was such an integral part of their season, and he had taken his game to... Uh, so we've, we've thrown this term around uh, today, so we might as well continue to throw it around. Uh, and taken his game to superstar level. He was, uh, you know, obviously he's got tremendous athletic gifts. Um, I can't say that in the early part of the playoffs and perhaps early in the Celtics series, uh, um, he was playing to what we consider superstar level. But the last, uh, last couple of games, especially last night, you know, he's... Uh, you know he's uh, he's an important important part of the Raptors uh, of Raptors uh, success and you know going back to Lowry, um, you know to be fair there have been times over the course of the last five years at times we may have been a little bit critical of Kyle uh, to that extent but you know we've always said when credit needs to be given we need to give it and Kyle Lowry. Um, yeah, he he certainly has this team on his back shoulders, whatever whatever the appropriate term is, and uh, he's uh, he's he 
he certainly wants a, it seems like he wants another ring. There's no question about it. And you know, if they if they can get back if they can get through the Celtics, you know, things are the chips are starting to line up fairly well for the for the Raptors. You know, every time we get Butch on the show, he always tells us how well the Raptors play when they play the West Coast teams. Um you know, they've been successful against the Heat. The Heat looks like they're going to take out the Bucks. So, you know, the the road seems to be opening up. Uh, and you look look back at what happened last year. Um, we need uh, we needed uh, you know we need a little bit of, of, of I wouldn't call it luck, but certain things had to uh, fall our way. And when I say our, obviously <laughs> speaking as a Raptor fan, um, you look back at last year. We were down two nothing to the Bucks. It's like we're all, we're almost in the same situation, and we were down two games to zip against the Bucks, and we were in double overtime in Game Three. You guys, I don't know if my memory is serving me well. You know, <laughs> memory ain't what it used to be, but I think we went into double overtime in Game Three, down two games to nothing. So you know, we didn't come that far. Like you go down three nothing in basketball, it's over. I don't think there's ever been one team in NBA history that's ever come back from three uh, from from a 3-0 lead. Uh, so we were we were that close last year, and we were that close. We were half a second. Uh, we haven't gotten through the Celtics yet, and I'm not. You know, I got to knock on wood here. You know, the Celtics pose matchup uh, problems for. Uh, for the Raptors, it's the one team. I, I said, if there's one team that the, that would take the Raptors down, uh, I always felt it was the Celtics. Um, just we don't seem to have uh, that much success. But the last, certainly last night uh, has got me thinking really positive, guys. Uh, Lou, your thoughts? Well, uh, I, I look on the other side as well as the Raptors are, are playing, and they are a ferocious. Uh, defensive uh, team and when they all buy in they're, they're going to be very tough to beat but is boston going to shoot as, as pathetically as they did last night from the three-point thing there's going to big there's going to be a big key in uh, in game five uh also uh there's no home field advantage here there's no like they're all playing in the same place so you're not going to get the crowds that are going to back you because right now i guess the Raptors would be playing Game Five in, in their building and, and with the crowd that they have, but you're now in your your in Orlando, and you're more or less in a neutral uh, playing field. So, Boston is a tough matchup for 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 the Raptors, but the Raptors still have to come back and play the same kind of game. They can't let up on on uh, Jason Brown or Jalen. Uh, uh, I see. I'm, I'm going cuckoo today with all these names here. Uh, yeah, there's, anyways, there's a lot. They, there's a lot of sports going on in the world. I know, right now. Jason. Uh, <laughs> Jason Tatum. So yeah. it's just one of these things that you, you've got to keep the the, the pedal on the uh, on the throttle here uh, if they're going to uh, if they're going to knock off Boston this year. And if you don't, uh, Boston's going to come back. Uh, we've uh, we've got to go to break shortly. Just the last two minutes uh, before we do. Um, there, there was uh, a story that, that broke this week, which, you know, it's, uh, it's created mixed feelings uh, in the NBA and in, and in other circles, and uh, I think we should comment on it because uh, he is a national hero. Uh, Steve Nash was, uh, was announced as the new coach of the Brooklyn Nets, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, 
you know, I'm not going to get into the, you know, there's certain commentators on ESPN that thought that that was an inappropriate um, decision, um, that Steve Nash had not paid his dues, and of course, that particular commentator decided that he was going to turn it into a racial discussion, which I, I you know, it's, it's a tough thing to comment on because Steve is such a national hero in Canada, um, a brilliant basketball mind. And I'm just going to leave it at this, guys. You, you guys can comment any which way you want. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate, it, and I hope we don't get into a world with every single, every single hiring decision is turned into uh, a racial discussion. Um, we can fairly debate whether Steve Nash should or should not be the coach of the Brooklyn Nets, whether he has deserved. Uh, but that's a decision that uh, that's made by their management and their owner. And I, I just hope that we can evaluate decisions based on the person rather than their color. Um, and I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get into a spirited debate about it. If you guys want to... You, you, you want to comment on, on the hiring at all. It, uh, Charles Barkley was, went off the rails when he came and said, uh, you know, he criticized the guy at ESPN that, that brought that into the discussion and said, guys, can we not just evaluate coaching decisions based on, on, on the individual? And, and I say that with all of the greatest respect for a friend of ours is Butch Carter. And, you know, I'd love to have talked to him about this on the show today and get his perspective. Um, you know, Butch should have been a coach in the NBA. Uh, why he hasn't been a coach for the last 20 years is, to me, shameful. One of the bright, brightest basketball minds. We've talked to him at length about his basketball knowledge. Um, that, I'd love to chat with him. He should have been a coach in the NBA. Should have got all kinds of other opportunities, never has. And, guys, Got a minute. If you guys want to throw any thoughts in on that, uh, be my guest. Steve Nash is a great player, but I don't think he's, he's the right choice to be the coach of uh, the Nets. I don't think uh, he's he just experience-wise. What's that, Wally? Just experience-wise, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't he, have you know, it. He, then, then why he may be successful, but I don't think so. I think he's going to have a rough, rough time there. Okay, Luke? Uh, I, I back what, uh, what Nas says, uh, as much as, as, and what he's done as, as a Canadian basketball player in the NBA, I think it's great, but you're putting him in a situation where Brooklyn as you know, they made the playoffs this year. They had a perfect guy in Tyrone Lou here who has handled LeBron James, uh, ego type player. Now next year, he's going to walk into, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving there, two very, very strong minded people, uh, Again, it's it's gonna it's a tough decision. It, it's not a political one. I, I just think that they went uh, in the wrong direction uh, with their signing, uh, especially with the two superstars they have coming back next year. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair to criticize the decision based on um, based on the factors that you guys just mentioned, and and that's the first sort of the first thing that hit me when I when I heard the decision being made. Why is Steve Nash being uh, the coach, but you know he's got backers. He's you know he's you know he's he's provided technical advice to some teams. 
Um, you know, the concept is that there are, there are other coaches in waiting that, that deserve that shot better than Steve. I, I, if, it's, if it's a basketball criticism, I have no issue with it. Uh, I, think, I think that's a legitimate, a legitimate criticism of the hiring. Um, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, it's been so much for basketball in Canada, and let's, uh, let's recognize that too. We're going to go to break. Uh, just before we go to break, I just want to announce our uh, our uh, Pizzaville numbers. Call in first two callers, area code four one six three six zero zero seven four zero one eight six six seven four zero four seven four zero fifty dollar gift coupon and twenty four twenty five dollar gift coupon uh, ready to go. We'll be back to wrap it up the last couple of minutes of the show. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact-free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM740 FM 96.7 video streaming. Not video streaming anymore, but audio streaming. www.zoomerradio.ca If we didn't have enough sports to throw into the mix, we've got uh, two, two new ones. NCAA football and NFL football. The NCAA, NCAA started off their schedule this week. Uh, I was on flipping the dial yesterday. Guys, we've got every major sport going on at the same time. Uh, I think my TV is going to blow up. I can't possibly watch all this stuff. Uh, so you sort of got to pick and choose. But NCAA, NCAA football uh, this week, NFL football next week. 
the NCAA, uh, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 are going. The Big 10 and the Pac-12 are sitting it out. Um, I don't know what this means in terms of, I guess we're not going to have a national championship, um, which, man, when I watch NCAA, when I watch NCAA football, I'm always saying, like, who's going to win the national championship? So yes, we're, we're going to have a national championship. Somebody's going to say, I'm going to win the ACC. Uh, it doesn't have the same ring. Notre Dame's got a game against Duke this coming Saturday at 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Notre Dame's in the ACC this year. Um, it's all conference schedules. I think they're actually going to have eleven or 12,000 students in 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 the in the stadium, I guess obviously spread out because twelve thousand people in a stadium this size is like uh, you can probably hear a pin drop because they're you know you get into some of these stadiums they're over a hundred thousand people uh, but what's the point Luke well, for one, they are going to have a national championship. It just won't include the uh, the Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten. Because well, then it's not, games. you know, come on, let, let's call it spade a spade. It's not a national championship, but, you know, it's Ohio. Well, it's, it's just like the National Hockey League. You know, the best team's never going to actually win. I think right now the Final Four is going to be is going to be the interesting time. You're going to get four of the teams here. But I understand where you're coming from because I think there's four teams that are ranked in the top 10 or top 15 that yeah. are in those Lou, two conferences. Lou, I- yeah, Lou, I want to get your quick thoughts. I, I don't want to give Naz an opportunity to get his thoughts in as well because we only have about a minute left. Naz? It's, 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 yeah. Go ahead, Naz. Yeah, Alabama starts on the 26th. Missouri, right? Yeah, they start at the end of the month. Yeah. But, Naz, uh, like, you're, you're not going to have a national champion. You can, you, you can vote whatever you want, but I, I, don't, I don't know. You, you can't have a college football playoff. You know, you you can have one, of course, but you know you've got two of your two of your biggest conferences. You got Penn State, not uh, can't can't challenge for it. Ohio State can't challenge for it. All the big teams on the West Coast can't challenge for it. It sort of defeats the purpose. Yeah, they do have to have a national. It's still a national championship. These guys have opted out from playing this year, right? Yeah, Naz, it's ten o'clock. It's ten o'clock. I hate to interrupt, but I got to ask you, how do the Bills look? Real quick. Bills look great. Bills are going to be right up there. That's okay, sure. we'll, we'll look for that. So we'll add two more sports to our agenda. So, uh, oh, wow. Anyways, to all our listeners, Lou, thank you. Naz, thank you. To all our listeners, have a fantastic and safe week. We'll be back next Sunday morning. Opinions expressed on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. Good morning, I'm Jeremy Logan with your 10 o'clock Zoomer Radio News. Mainly sunny for your Sunday, a high of 22. Right now it's 16 degrees Celsius in Toronto, 60 Fahrenheit. In the news, research out of the University of British Columbia suggests the global health crisis may be motivating more parents to get their children vaccinated for the flu. The study, published in the Journal of Pediatrics, found 54% of parents are having their kids get a flu shot, an increase of 16 percentage points over last year. Countries in the Southern Hemisphere that have already experienced flu season 
have noted fewer infections, likely due to COVID-19 precautions, such as mask wearing and physical distancing. But BC's Provincial Health Officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, cautions that may not reflect what will happen in the Northern Hemisphere. This year, the Public Health Agency of Canada has... This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.